Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Just a few short years ago, I never could have imagined that I would be at Truett Seminary. I've always been supportive of Truett Seminary, the church where I pastored uh, back in Sulphur Springs. As a matter of fact, I gave the money for this pulpit. And uh, so I've always been involved with and believed in and supportive of, of Truett, but never imagined I would be a part of the life and ministry and ongoing work of this place. I'm honored to be here. You know, it just so happens the, the phone rings one day and your life changes and it's been good. Now, I'll confess to you today, I, I do not count myself a Bible scholar. Now, we've got some here. And uh, it's a privilege for me to, in my own way, out and about, try to bring support to what they're doing for you in the classroom. And, and it's been a blessing. But in all honesty and full disclosure, I, I don't count myself a, a Bible scholar. But I also would say I'm a Bible reader. It's the uh, fall of 1989, and I don't remember really what inspired me to reach the conclusion I reached, but I, it, it dawned on me. You know, I've never read the Bible all the way through. Here I am, the pastor of a church, and I've never read the Bible all the way, all the way through. I should do that. And so I went and purchased one of those one-year Bibles and waited until January the 1st. Apparently, I wasn't smart enough to realize that if I started on November the 15th, that one-year Bible would eventually take me around to November the 14th. But nonetheless, I started on January the 1st, and I am now on my 21st year of reading the Bible all the way through every year. It's the way I begin my day every day, and it's a blessing. And I'll say to you, in front of these Bible scholars, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I do read between the lines. Let me explain that just a little bit. The, the verse that was read earlier from 1 Samuel 13, 14, particularly that little phrase, a man after God's own heart. When you read that, when I read that, it kind of... I ask the question, what does that mean? Who is that person? What are the characteristics of, of, of that man or that woman who is described as being someone after God's own heart? Who is that? Are there qualities that would identify such a person? Are there indicators? And so in my little time of reading... At least for me, I think maybe I found a couple. I want to pass those along to you. For those of you who are just beginning in your ministry journey, I hope what I say today you find helpful not only as you go through seminary, but down the road as you engage in, in, in ministry. So if you have your Bible, 1 Samuel Chapter 16. It's where I'm going to ask you to, to focus with me as we 
try to identify some qualities or some characteristics of, of that person who really is someone after God's heart. If you look down to about verse, uh, well, starting at about verse 10, it goes on down to verse 13. But I'm going to focus on, on verse 11. So pick up with me there. 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes. Verse 12, he sent and brought him in. I'm going to stop right there. You know the story. Saul had been anointed king already, and early on that did not go so well. And so Samuel, under God's direction, is, is sent to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And Samuel says to Jesse, uh, you know, I'm here to basically look over your sons, and would you bring them out here? And it's kind of a parade the way I envision it in my mind. And the, the first one comes by, and he, he looks good. But there's not that impression that Samuel has that this is to be the next king. So he asks for the next and the next and the next and the next. And, and he goes through all seven. And at this point, you have to kind of think that Samuel is, is a little bit at his wit's end because he knows this is where he's sent. He was sent. This is, this is the home that he's supposed to be in. And yet, it's just not, it's not happening. And so he asks that question. Are there any more? Ah, there is one more. Where is he? He's out watching the sheep. Go get him. And we're not going to sit down until he comes back. And here's the little phrase that I find between the lines. When they go get him, where is he? Well, he's where he's supposed to be. And apparently he's doing what he's supposed to be doing because he comes right back. Now, I, I pick up on that because if he had not been there, that would have been the story. It was the story three chapters earlier. When Saul did not do what he was told to do, he panicked. He was told to wait. He waited as long as he thought he could. People were beginning to disperse. They were beginning to desert in his mind. He just couldn't wait any longer, and so he did not do what he was told to do, but yet here, kind of between the lines, there's the idea. Here's this young man, David, watching the sheep. They go get him, and where is he? He's right where he's supposed to be, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Who is it who you can call someone who follows the heart of God? I think they're dependable. I think they're someone you can count on. You need those in church. The first church I ever pastored was the First Baptist Church of Blum, Texas, about an hour from here. Now, in Blum, 357 people. The only time we ever used the word cultured is if we were talking about buttermilk. It was truly rural Texas. But they were great to us, and we spent three years there. It was my first, really, full ministry. I didn't know anything about being a pastor. It's worse than that. I didn't even suspect anything. I didn't know 
I didn't know that in order to make a motion before church to kind of get something done, I needed to take that to a committee and let them ponder it for a couple of years. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. And so I had been there about six months and I decided, you know, we need a copy machine. I was also the administrative assistant to the pastor. And it was my responsibility to prepare the church bulletin and, and what we had, and, and you will not know what one, of these, what one of these is, but we had an old mimeograph machine. It was a rather cumbersome piece, of, a, a large piece of equipment, and it, it's going to be hard for me to even describe it to you, but it's, it's a large, long piece of equipment with a little, with a, with a kind of a, a cylinder in the middle and you put a, 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 a carbon paper on it and you attach a, a, an original to it and it's got paper on the end and it's got a crank. And, and you crank it and it runs this paper around the cylinder and out the other end and it's purple when it's finished. And that was our bulletin. Well, I thought in my ignorance, why don't we get a copy machine? Put paper on one end, put an original there, and you push a button. I did my research. One that we needed was going to cost us $400. And so in business meeting, you know, we kind of take care of the financial report, which wasn't much, and then it's left for new business. Well, I'm standing behind the pulpit, and I raise my hand. I have a motion. I make a motion we buy a new copier. Well, I thought that was just about going to be it. I did not expect W.J. Stead to raise his hand and present an alternative motion. He presented a motion in three parts. Number one. <laughs> and how he came up with this so quickly still shocks me. But, but number one, his motion was that we attach an electric motor to the mimeograph machine. Apparently, he thought this was the problem. Number two, that we get a large roll of paper and attach that to the other end of the mimeograph machine. And number three, we give me, the pastor, a sharp knife so that when the rolls come out on the other end, quickly I can slice them off. Those were the three parts of his motion. I do not know how that was going to be engineered. Well, I was in a little bit of a panic because now we had these competing motions on the floor and it was up to me to moderate that. Well, I did, and we finally came to a vote, and we voted. I was sweating. I mean, it was W.J. Stead. He was the uh, chairman of the deacons. He was the chairman of the pastor's search committee that brought me there. And they voted to buy a copy machine. I'm in the office the next morning. I opened the door, and it's W.J. Stead. And I thought, here it comes. And I was right. That man walked in and handed me a personal check for $400. And I knew right then, this old man lives next door to the church that I wouldn't take anybody in who was visiting our church because it's such a shack, and yet that is the one man in this church I know I can count on. Because he knows it's not about him. It was about us. Now, do you want to be a minister that people can count on? Then be dependable. 
Be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to be doing. I do go all over the state, as Dr. Garland said, and I talk to a whole lot of church ministers and I talk to a whole lot of church members. Every week, last spring, one day I was in Amarillo, the next week on the same day I was in Beaumont. I go all over the state and I talk to a lot of ministers and yes, we do in ministry need people in our church we can count on, but let me speak to you, future ministers, current ministers, on behalf of church members. There is a hunger in our churches for men and women in leadership that the people in the congregation, that the people in the pew, there is a hunger for a minister they can count on, a minister they can believe in, a minister they can trust, and someone they are absolutely not just willing but anxious to follow. And it's everywhere I go. Your future can be very bright. And I think it will be. And it's not that hard to just be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. Well, there's another little thing in here, kind of between the lines. If you'd look down at verse 18... Verse 18, it says, And one of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Now, what's the background to all of that? Well, Saul had had the kingship removed from him. He was going to remain as king, but his family was not going to follow in those footsteps. And, and to be honest with you, and, and your seminary professors can unfold that certainly more, <laughs> in greater detail and, and more accurately than me, but I would, in, in my own little way of reading it and thinking about it, that got the best of him. Saul uh, says he had to... Uh, Spirit of the Lord was off of him and an evil spirit of the Lord was upon him. I interpret that basically by saying he was an emotional wreck. He was absolutely an emotional wreck. But somehow he and they in the palace discerned that, that when he had these fits, if you will, when music was played, it was soothing. And so Saul says, in an academic setting, it would be, let's start a national search. Saul says, let's look everywhere we can for someone who is skillful in playing, and yet here's someone in the palace who says, I don't think we need to do that. I have seen a man. Well, if you read between the lines, he had seen this young man play, and apparently he was good, and now he's talking about him. I'll give you a little truth here, a little small nugget, and I don't have many, but here's one. People talk. They always have and they always will. People talk, and sometimes they will talk about us. And they're talking here about David. What's my word for you? If you want to be someone who can be described as a man, as a woman, as a minister after God's heart, develop 
maintain and guard your reputation. God can use a good reputation. My next personal story along those lines. I'm now the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Weatherford, Oklahoma, about an hour west of Oklahoma City, a great church, a great community. We love being there. And I had been there seven days. And one night the telephone rings, and it's two high school boys who call and say, Pastor, we'd like to take you out to get a Coke and and kind of just get to know you. think that's kind of cool and so I thought well I bet that doesn't happen very often I must have really be connecting with these kids I think that's great yeah come on by and get me I tell Kathleen these kids are going to come take me out to get a coke and they do we go to the Sonic now that's not my normal hangout but we go to the Sonic and I'm all right with that I used to go to the Sonic you know years before that so you know I'm drinking the coke in the back seat and I could not I couldn't have found the Sonic on my own but but I'm in the back seat and we're riding along and I don't really know where I am, and I really don't know where I am when we leave the city limits. But I'm okay at first. And then I hear a question that I never thought I'd hear in my life as a minister. I hear this. Hey, preacher, you want to steal a watermelon? Well, I think to myself, no. My picture had just been on the front page of the local paper. First Baptist Church welcomes new pastor. And now I've got this vision in my mind, my picture on the front page of the paper again, First Baptist Church pastor caught stealing watermelons. So I you know, no, let's not. They're undeterred. We stop. Apparently, we have pulled up at a watermelon patch just outside the city limits of Weatherford, Oklahoma, and they stop the car, and they get out. And I'm in the back seat, and I'm just going, oh, this is awful. And then my my nightmare increases because I see some headlights come on back down the road, and I'm like, oh, no. And then they start coming towards us. And then the sound no minister ever wants to hear, no pastor ever wants to hear a shotgun. You just don't want to hear a shotgun go off. But I do three times, boom, 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 and I'm starting to sweat. And finally, I say something I thought I would never say in ministry. I said, well, if we're going to steal them, let's get them and go. My reputation I saw being destroyed in a moment. It didn't happen. The pickup runs up to us, and sure enough, it's the deacons of the church, and those are their sons. (laughs) And I'd been set up. I'm not bitter. (laughs) Much. Can I give you a word? What I'm going to say next is not true. Now, you won't hear that probably from a pulpit very often. 
of what I'm going to say to you next is not true. It just seems like it is. But it seems like whoever you are and whatever you do, wherever you go, it seems like your reputation gets there first. And so as as men and women who are about to go out there and serve around the state, around the country, and around the world, if I could just give you a little bit of a word of, of encouragement, advice, establish, maintain, and guard your reputation. It is easier to destroy a reputation than it is to build one. And if I could add to that, Churches have reputations. And a large part of the reputation, wherever it is you're going to be serving, probably wherever it is you're going to be leading, a large part of that reputation is going to be based on your reputation. Seminaries have reputations. And the reputation of Truett Seminary is in no one else's hands but ours. There is no one else out there anywhere today who got up and thought about how they might benefit and improve and enhance the reputation of Truett Seminary. We have a responsibility individually and collectively to establish and to maintain and to protect a good reputation because it was the case here It's the case today. People talk. And when they talk about us, they need to be able to say positive things just like they were saying about David. Now, there's one other thought I have here and reading between the lines. Look at verse, uh, chapter 17. Look over at verse 49. If you've got your Bible, if not, I have mine. And verse 49 of chapter 17 reads like this. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Now, in some settings, I might have to go into more detail about what that whole story is about, but I think here everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, so I'll let that stand on its own. But my question is, was that a lucky shot? My answer is no. Back over in verse 36, David says, you know, I've guarded the, the family flock for a long time, and I've fought off the bear and I fought off the lion and and if you know anything about those ancient slings those were difficult weapons to use those were a challenge to use and I don't think that was the first time he picked one up if you just read between the lines a little bit he probably spent a lot of time practicing that the same thing with the harp I expect David had a lot of natural ability when it came to music but But to reach a level that you could could play in the palace of the king, I think probably he spent a lot of time in practice. What about the Psalms? You know, a a large portion of the Psalms are attributed to David, whether he wrote them, compiled them, edited them, however you want to describe that. But certainly, it took a lot of personal time, effort, and energy. My point is discipline. 
discipline in ministry is an absolute key. It took effort and practice and time and discipline to learn how to work that sling and to play the harp and to use the pen. Well, years ago, I, uh, I read a little challenge from a guy. It was a 40-day challenge. He called it the 40-day rule, and I thought, well, 40 days, that's probably got some biblical foundation. So what does he say here? Basically, what he said was, if you can, if you can take the next 40 days and discipline yourself to do something, at the end of that 40 days, that will become a habit for you. So my advice to people who are, are beginning ministry is develop a, diff- a disciplined lifestyle, develop a, a pattern of and a series of good habits that will bless you and benefit you in your course of ministry. Be a man, be a woman of discipline. Develop some good habits. If I could interject one more personal story, and I'll say it quickly. I'm now the pastor of First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, Texas. I'd been there nine months. A lady walks by me in the hall one day and makes a statement to me that changes my life. She thought she was being complimentary. It hurt me. She said, Pastor... You must really like it here. You sure have gained a lot of weight since you came. <laughs> oh, no. She changed my life. I got home and I thought, you know, I am overweight and I am out of shape. And I'm ashamed of that. And so again, I waited till January the 2nd. And I decided to go on a little diet. I didn't know much about dieting, so I decided to lose a little weight. I did, my plan was simple. I just ate one plate instead of two. And then on February the 1st, I said, I think I'm going to go to the gym. A man in our church has just opened up a gym. I guess I should go to the gym. So I go my first day. He's my personal trainer. He hands me a bar and tells me to curl it 10 times. I get to three and go outside and throw up. It's embarrassing. but I'm now 20 years into getting up at 4.15 every day and going to the gym for an hour and 15 minutes. And it was all because that lady noticed that I was not very disciplined in the way I managed myself. Future ministers, if I could say a word to you, become a disciplined man or woman, develop a pattern of good habits and it will serve you well. And your people will notice. You know that, um, what's that, uh, the most amazing, interesting man in the world? You know that guy, the most interesting man in the world? You know that, how that little phrase goes? Well, 
I don't always read between the lines. But when I do, thank you very much for the time.